you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. Hey, I, I wore the wrong shirt for contrast here, but uh, okay. <laughs> well, last week you had orange, and it was orange fall leaves, so. That's true. I guess, yeah, I'm going to chameleon mode or something. Yeah, I'm there going... you go. <laughs> There's your next costume for Halloween. Exactly. Really? <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the chameleon. I can't count on the, the ninja black, you know, because me moving around is kind of like an eclipse, you know, so I can't really get the stealth that way. So I have to, I don't know, that, that's another cool one of those scientific developments where what used to just be science fiction, they really are coming up with something that monitors the environment and then displays it so that, you know, it, even with movement or if you stand, stand stock still, it, it really looks like you're part of the wallpaper. You're part yeah. of the forest. I think that's the fact that things are able to be done in near real time, you know, people always talk about what, like um, Moore's law, you know what I mean, about that the number of processor on a chip, the number of, of yeah, microprocessors on a chip goes right. up, doubles roughly every 18 months. And that was just like an esoteric observation. But then when you keep finding out how much that kind of speed actually lets you do miraculous things, you know what I mean? When they <laughs> I wonder if we really studied that thing uh, with technology and advancement and speed and everything else. I wonder if it would like follow some Fibonacci number or something, you know, that it would. Well, it, uh, definitely. It's an exponential curve. You know what I mean? Yeah. That if you get like, I, I know I, I, wow, I've read a lot about, and I've actually attended a couple of futurist conferences and so much what they talk about is um, like half of human knowledge has been discovered in the last, hundred years yeah and, and you know and, and probably it's even less the last 20 years yeah. in comparison to what little we knew by you know having our environment was a hundred miles our you know so everybody thought that their desert their forest their glacier or whatever was the world and then you started to look up and you started to say well that isn't like you know the gods that's stars and how far away are they and just uh, as as you see you know the, the whatever they talk about all kinds of indicators how many wikipedia pages have been created every single day now compared to when it first started yeah. and every other bit of scientific experimentation that just the amount that we keep adding and the the depth we keep being able to go to the the quality of the instrumentation it keeps on revealing e even bigger things you know what i mean yeah. this is how things right now there's like a fifth state of matter yeah you know i heard I mean? about that did you just read about this one that as as you kind of like and it isn't earth, air, fire, water, <laughs> like we used to think, and it isn't phlogiston causes fire, the march of science and that incredible, curious, relentless need to know is just revealing things at the big level, the, the subatomic level, the it's, it's very thrilling. I don't know, I guess it's a little spooky when people are like, well, I, in fact, I just made this comment, and I know I'm all over this morning. So I, I, uh, saw a picture where people are sitting on dinosaur chairs and I, I thought it was very cute. You know, and one of those things that like, if you're going to try to do something for office morale, it really shouldn't be that everything is gray beige institutional same. How about everybody getting a dinosaur? Yeah. Well, 
And I said, well, you know, I, they were too small for me. I mean, it's kind of funny because they seem to be built for kids, though adults were sitting on them. But I'm a big adult. And so I said, I kind of needed a brontosaurus chair. And I said, you know, I know that it's now called a patasaurus. Right, right. I grew up with brontosaurus and it just sounds bigger and funnier. So that's what I'm going to use. But then I went and looked it up. And actually, they've revised that revisal, that revision, um, that brontosaurus is now a, a sub-branch of whatever the long-necked, you know, the, the classic oh, dinosaur herbivore, that apatosaurus is not the only thing in town, that they've re-added brontosaurus, and maybe Pluto will be added as a planet or whatever. That's good to know, because actually, uh, <laughs> me and my cousin were just talking about this. We went trick-or-treating with the kids, and I, I mentioned before his grandson, who's seven, definitely will be in mensa we might bring him to one of the rgs sometime uh he okay. will fit right in because he got some chalk so he was out making drawings on the uh sidewalk in the patio uh so he did the solar system uh and he put the the plant the moons around each of the planets and he put the asteroid belt in and then he put I forget what he was saying, some closest uh, discovered exoplanet and the solar system for that. I mean, he just did that <laughs> when a kid, you know, when a kid does that, that exactly. because that's fun. You know? So we were just talking and I'm like, that's the thing, man. There's just so many things we don't know that we don't know right now. And there's so many things we still have to discover. Like you said, uh, what was that thing a while back where they finally caught a picture of light? Uh, in the in a black hole and it proved one of Einstein's theories that hadn't been proven yet exactly and, and it's kind of funny it, it, this I love this about my wife you know we we watch all certain tv together but then often we'll break apart and I'll, I'll come up here and I'll watch the Sopranos or something like that because I'm catching up on that and she doesn't really want to see too many guns and explosions so then but what she chose to watch was a documentary about exactly that about how they captured a picture of a black hole wait you mean the black hole where light and, and nothing escapes they did it because this and this and this you know it's it, right. how we do celestial observation nowadays is not necessarily looking right at it it's looking at the perturbations with what we know about all the other natural laws around it and say there must be a planet crossing to make that perfect gravitic perturbation that would be why the suns aren't exactly the way that they should look or that they're like, they just discovered one where a planet is orbiting like three suns. If I remember correctly, oh, wow. you know, that it's got this cool, like interesting pattern where the, the, out of all the universe, everything has to happen because of the laws of large numbers. They found a place where however the gravity works is that it doesn't just orbit one single wow. star that it actually is enough caught in each of their gravity webs that it, you know, I just how cool that's, is that? that and, that's sci-fi right there. Yeah, exactly. And exactly, you know, like when a long ago, I remember reading a story called Nightfall, you know, by Isaac mm -hmm. Asimov. Yep, that was yep. that just stepping outside of, well, we have a 24-hour day. If you just start thinking about our other planets that have longer or shorter days or that the planet doesn't rotate, but there's always a hot and a cold side, it takes you to different places in your mind. And his was about if you lived on a planet that actually had multiple moons, and when they all, there usually are, they're not, uh, they're in sync so that there's hardly ever a time when there isn't moonlight. And that when it finally happened, that it really was the sky went dark, that the world kind of went mad. They didn't know how to deal with such a constant in their life. And we already have some traces of that here. If you don't understand science, you'll go to mythology you'll go to craziness so it's like oh my god the gods are angry at us oh my god a dragon has eaten the sky whatever you're gonna think about it but 
the way he described it was even in the face of all the science that that kind of like when when we went to see the solar eclipse it really is an eerie feeling to have okay <laughs> this is not the way the world is there's a horizon everywhere there's a sunset everywhere instead of in the west right. you know what i mean the sun right. rises in the east and sets in the west and every, every other animal that's attuned to the natural world they all got quiet because temperature dropped like 10 degrees in an instant because without the constant power of the sun how how much the world is affected by that constant right. thing and it just was wow i'm i'm loving this and yet there really was a a little unsettling aspect it's still that like, uh, i sure hope native. it comes back out yeah, yeah. we really need you mr son <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> and and that you know that brings up uh one of my all-time favorite stories connecticut yankee and king arthur's court you know okay. mark twain yeah. used that so well and that was you know 120 130 years ago or whatever exactly. uh so it's just i mean you could consider that story sci-fi but you know sci-fi has pushed us you know Jules Verne had the diving suits and the subs and then Star Trek had communicators, which we had, yeah, you know. Exactly. I mean, that uh, so much. It is, this is like what we love talking about in, in Relentless Geekery, that speculative fiction like that has so often been, well, we don't know, but let's think about what it might be like. And then the world kind of decides, well, what part of that future do I want to become true? I love the idea of being able to tap this. I love being able to run a tricorder and get a medical reading. Yeah. Well, that's that happened. <laughs> well, like this, I got, I got a yeah. two-way with radio and then I got, you know, all that. Yeah. And, and and seeing how that builds on each other, that once somebody figures out how to do it, then the whole world says, well, wow, look at what we can do now. We, like I said, with science being better and better sensors and more and more small, like the minute that you, I remember seeing a movie probably 40 years ago, of, of like with a lipstick camera, then instead of a camera being a big tripod and a guy under a hood, like you see an old timey photographer, <laughs> exactly, then in, instead it was, and now, you know, the the launch of the stealth movement that they had a lipstick camera that was like just positions where it was not at all obvious that it was there, but they were spying on a room of some kind. And as they've made that smaller and smaller, like now you have in your phone in, in like camera dust that you can throw on the ground and then put together a concerted you know, uh, image of all the things that it sees. And that's how, like now how we have um, the very large array. We don't have a single telescope that had to get bigger and bigger and bigger, a dish that would be able to absorb more and more light or radio waves or whatever else it might be. We said if we do 100 of them and we know exactly how they're positioned and exactly the angles, the computer can figure out the composite image that is 100 times the power of any single one. And then you know just I mean? shrink that down to nanobots, and now you've got like a problem. Yeah. <laughs> and even that big thing of, okay, I don't have to have one perfect dish, which has, remember, when they, I think sometimes, as they say, necessity is the mother of invention. So why did they do that? We can't make a big enough lens perfectly anymore. Even with perfect grinding and everything like that, any flaw means it's all, it's, it's not going to work. It's all right. wasted. We, we, we can't account. And They've actually figured out how to do that now that it's actually made not of a single lens, but a series of shimmery panels. And you can actually do those micro adjustments to make it again, aided by computers right. going very fast that I don't know, just every time that you see that next thing of now we have that, those tiny cameras and, and that they're not just like fantastic voyage, you know, where they said, let's take a camera inside a person and we'll figure out how to cure them. And that was absolutely science fiction when Asimov came up with it. And now, well, it's, I had that right. done. You know, when well, I had my ablation, 
they sent a little camera in there and a little, you know, heatable element, and they zapped so specifically parts of my heart that they fixed me. And like, well, well, wow, thank you, science. I can never thank you enough for figuring out how to do that without it being clumsy, stupid. Well, We're going to go in there with a stake and pry your heart apart and just, hope that we can fumblingly fix it. Well, just oh, the fact God. that they could detect it, first of all, because, uh, you know, with Halloween here, uh, and as in New Orleans, I, you know, I've been in, diving into a lot of vampire stuff, the lore, the legend, the myth, what people believe. And New England, there was a big uh, consumption or tuberculosis a- epidemic. Right. Well, people are they're, they they get drained. They look like they're losing blood. They're spitting up blood. So it must be a vampire. It must you be know? a vampire. And, exactly. And and <laughs> and so we've watched several vampire shows, and one of them uh, was talking about uh, this guy. I forget his name, and I haven't looked up the facts to make sure it's all correct. But basically, this guy was at these two wards. One was a free ward for people, and one was a ward for women giving birth, whatever. Uh, but okay. lots of money. Well, there were more people dying at the one where it cost money and was expensive, but the free one wasn't. And the only difference was the the doctors at the free one washed their hands. Washed their hands. Everything. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. So, I mean, he got put into a mental institute because they thought he was crazy. The That's other right. doctors. That's, you know, before we all agreed that maybe things exist that are indeed smaller than the naked eye, like germs, and that it wasn't a curse. It wasn't, you know what I mean, magic. It was, right. you just have to expand the scope of what you think is out there. We know that there are now, obviously, there are germs. There are viruses that are smaller than germs. And, How do we contend with that? Yeah. And we saw that, you know, recently with all the COVID, we got the people, like you said, saying, oh, you can't wear a mask because I don't breathe my own CO2. And it's like, wait a second, doctors wear them for 14 hours during surgery. Come on. Right. You know, and, and so <laughs> it's, it's not this, uh, it's something we can prove right now instead of, science that we don't understand yet and somebody's just guessing you know these are people saying well i know you can prove it but i still think you're crazy (laughs) you know it's this is a whole bunch of thoughts of course shooting through my head we used to play a game called go to the head of the class yeah you know it was like uh, desks that you'd move up based on answering questions and so forth and it'd be first grade second grade third grade and we recently replayed that and i know i've also done this with like even older games it was a level of science that I think is not being taught, a level of science, a level of history, a level of understanding of things that is no longer being taught in schools. And before this game, we had also played one that was like from the 1930s. And the things that kids were expected to know, the exact dates of historic events, like the all kinds of historic figures that they really were important back then, and maybe now they've faded with time, but it'd be the equivalent of you have to, as a decent citizen, know every Supreme Court justice, every member of Congress, every appointed cabinet position, you have to be able to recite every amendment. Like you have to, that's just base knowledge to be a functioning member of society. And we have so much backed away from that. I know that they now teach to the test, but it seems that even the test that we're requiring, boy, it's it's gone down. Yeah, I, It's kind of funny. Well, Whenever I get to fuddy-duddy pronouncements like this, I, I don't want to be old man yells at cloud, but I think it's provable that the kinds of base knowledge that people have nowadays, you've seen all the things, can they identify all the states in the United States? When they think where Vietnam is, they put it where Florida is. 40% of the people that were given that quiz 
don't have a clue where things are on a globe. Right. Don't have a clue. Of not, and it's kind of funny. It doesn't have to be exact. You don't need to know. Give it in the right hemisphere. You just have to be able to say, well, what century was it in? And given three items, can you put them in order? And you kind of have to know. I guess people would know World War II must have happened after World War I. But there's been many other important wars, important scientific breakthroughs. And you kind of need to know what came in order so you get a feel for how the world works. There's a game called Timeline. That's exactly that. We, exactly. We, we love that game. Yes. And, and honestly, I'm, I'm humbled often with like, wow, I didn't know the fax machine was invented that much further back than I thought it was. Right. But then it makes an impression on you and it stays with you forever because you don't want to be embarrassed again. And you want to be. So it was kind of like as soon as they figured out Morse code, as soon as they figured out how to send things over a wire, they started to say, well, how what could I do with that? Same with when they first had steam power, they started to say, what are all the ways in which I can make a steam engine useful? And, and, and the amazing ingenuity, again, I'm jumping all around. I loved going to Biltmore House because it wasn't mm -hmm. only the beautiful Vanderbilt mansion, it was they had a working farm. And the working farm was as if frozen in time. So they had all these cool old farm machinery that were how ingenious they were with yeah. being able to develop something to the precision of metal interacting and it exactly digs the right depth for a seed. And then another thing puts the seed in and another thing covers it with dirt. And then you do that through a whole field. And instead of an individual having to do that a hundred thousand times, it just did 10 men's 10 hours work in an hour. Yeah. The yeah. breakthroughs of that kind of knowing that metal, it, you know, that you can work with metal to that fine a degree that you understand. I don't know, man. I just, I've loved well, seeing examples of human ingenuity like that forever. It's how many times have they found a Mayan or an Egyptian tomb and opened it up or a pyramid and they're, they're like deciphering it. And they're like, wow, they understood planets and how they moved and, and they understood the seasons and the planting and how things grew. And it's like, we lost all of that when the explorers like came to America and killed all the Indians and uh, let's move in. It's like they had hardly any of that knowledge. It was all yeah. gone. Well, back when it really mattered, like you had to know what the seasons really were because you had to know about how to bring your crops in so you could survive the winter so that your, your whole society didn't die. Right. And there might've been a mythic component of, you know, we have to, explain why the sun goes across the sky or whatever yeah. <laughs> the, but then the it really chariot mattered. eating <laughs> like that but, but then the whoever first said well i'm going to watch that every day and i'm going to put together a chart of indeed the days do get longer and shorter and so then we can use that for we have more time to work during the summer and we know when the sun will set so that we can um we'll know how soon we can expect the river to freeze. You know, this river that we have to be able to cross, it will soon, uh, not not you're gonna ford it, but you're gonna walk across it, but how hard does it freeze so that we can actually not a person, but a wagon. And they had to be very aware of their natural environment to survive in it. And so I, like that, when you see those old, I don't know, they had to come up with a counting system. And this is so much now you know, ontolo uh, you know, ontological things, like what do you know and how do you know it? It's the, the fact that they had to invent language, numbers, uh, you know what I mean? Records, so that it wasn't just, and an, boy, a brutal statement, but I think it's true, a society that doesn't have the ability to do written records has to fall behind, right? No matter how good your oral tradition is, no matter how you have skulls that do the sagas and the, and, you know, the troubadours that travel with news from town to town, it's the breakthrough of the of the, of, of the civilization is movable type. The Gutenberg Bible 
is the, the biggest event that said there was a world before it and a world after it, and it right. changed the world in unbelievably impactful ways. Yeah. And and so just that to, to be aware of fire really matters, the wheel really matters. When you learn about simple machines in school, it's kind of like, well, how interesting that now I know about an inclined plane and a wheel and a lever and that kind of stuff. But then just think of, well, that's how they were able to build <laughs> bigger than they ever had before. That's how they were able to move things differently than they ever had before. The triumph over time, how long it took to get from one place to another, the, the amount that they could store because they could build better uh, adobe bricks than ever right and i know i'm jumping around from simple machines into other technologies if you will but like how did we get to where we could go more than 10 stories tall there's a the monadnock building in chicago is the tallest of the last skyscrapers that were built not with girder and hanging concrete on the girders construction but where you had to have in order to get to go 10 feet tall what was at the base had to be able to support all that weight so the base is like I hope I'm not wrong, nine feet wide in comparison to a foot wide at the top for the right. walls. You know what I mean? Like we, we knew physics, we knew substances, we knew that concrete and even that development of concrete, not mined stone, but being able to mix and set concrete and all those things that go into, wow, we gain capabilities. And, and then someone says, well, how can I go not 10 stories, but a hundred? I've got to figure out and I'm going to do it in a place where we might get weather. I got to make it so my building can not only go up that high, but actually moves with the wind torque so that it doesn't collapse in a hurricane. It's just amazing. The kind of ingenuity that's gone into and all we, of these cool things. And we talk about that <laughs> at times that, that that's one of those things that kind of sets uh people you know these friends those friends whatever you want to say but if we go to a mensa gathering and we're talking about this stuff you'll hear people quite often say well you know if we did this and you they get those thoughts they get those ideas as a group uh and it, it's i guess it surprises me sometimes when i find other people that don't care don't think about it don't stretch and wonder uh about that next big thing and then they're just like hey, who cares and it, it, it's, it's a sad thing. You know it, what I mean? Like, so yeah. I don't know, over the last, let's say 30 years, I think there's been more and more biomimicry. You know what I mean? We haven't figured everything out. Sometimes we've looked at, well, how does the natural world do it? And right. if we with available materials can do Velcro similar to, wow, that burr is really efficient in how it clings to clothing. How does it do that? And, you know, and I, the, one of the ones that was fascinating to me was, you know, we've developed trains now that the reason they can go 350 miles an hour is not brute force. It's because we learn how to exactly model things that know how to be as if a bird diving into the water and it doesn't splatter against the water. And it doesn't um, like when it dives, it doesn't, it, it goes in so cleanly that it's this perfect shape beak to shoulders to back. And let's do that through the air. And in fact, if I remember correctly, one of the ways they were discovering um, the way high-speed trains work is usually they're in a culvert so that they're not buffeted about by surface weather, but they're actually in a more controlled environment, you know, a big ditch, if you will. They were discovering that you still had to have places where they went through tunnels, and that when they came out of the tunnel, there was a sonic boom. They pushed air at, at such high speed that the act of then that air getting released, if you will, was creating a boom. And of course, then who wants to have that train in their backyard when I'm going to get six sonic booms a day? Well, they looked at, again, bird heads that were like, how does it get 
so cleanly in the dive, a chimney swift or a kestrel, I'm trying to think which ones they studied, and they were able to then model the exact nose of the train, so it's exactly that bird bill, and you know what I mean? And then it comes out cleanly, no nice. sonic boom. And how cool is that, that someone said, there's got to be a way to do this, because birds fly 80 miles an hour, that's enough, perhaps, to be able to get a boom on a small scale, and yet they don't do that. So if what they, are they doing that isn't like what we haven't figured out yet? <laughs> and well, if they would hit 88, then, you know, you'd really see something happen. Yeah, yeah you're, you're going to see some serious, exactly. <laughs> but then, you know, again, it goes back to, you hear all the time that there's so many things in the jungle that we don't know and haven't discovered. That old uh, Sean Connery movie, Medicine Man, where he discovered the cure for cancer, and then they right. wipe it all out. You know, yeah. it, and honestly, that, that's really coming true in a lot of ways. You know, the, the biopharmacopoeia that we have in the various different things, that's a real, you know, why should you not burn the jungles down? And just by being that more observant, and I don't know, as we understand more and more substances and chemical interactions and so forth, you know, in our lifetime, we've had botulism go from being, wow, that's death, right? You don't, if you have that in a can, you die. Well, then they discover, well, actually what it does is that little bit of nerve deadening. And if we can put nothing is ever only a poison it's based on dosage if we can get the right dosage we can like relax nerves so that it gets rid of people's forehead furrows and whoever first thought that said okay bear with me but i'm going to inject you with a little bit of a deadly poison but i think it's going to be okay but you know they did the study that said here's how how neurotoxic it is and at this thousand times million times dilution whatever it is it's actually going to have just the effect that we want and I know that you know, like other thalidomide, you know, that they, when it caused terrible birth defects back in the right. 50s, they're finding out that it might still have a use at the right dosage in the right situation. Uh, tapeworms and various different like parasites in your body, they're finding out that they might actually be useful medically that you'd actually want to introduce a tapeworm because it changes your body's chemistry in such a way that it overcomes. I don't think it's I, maybe it's irritable bowel syndrome. It, I think yeah. it's something very specific that like someone kept thinking, you know, it's not only a villain, there really might be some use if we can control this. And and I, not a year has gone by where you don't read about something that we got to a certain point, had to abandon because we were clumsy in its use. And now we've become more knowledgeable and refined. And then you not only have to overcome, it, of course, that will it work or not? It's like, will it will it have none of the, the terrible side effects? Right. And that's what the FDA and, and is all about. How do you get it without the side effects? That's right. That's right. So, yeah. and, and you know, right there, it's again one of those traits that not everybody seems to have is looking at something and how can you use it? How can you change it? How can you modify it? Uh, do you use it big? Do you use it little? I mean, look at uh, sticky notes. Yeah. That that was from a guy that was trying to create an immovable better adhesive adhesive that would hold forever, and he created right. the exact opposite and became right. rich. But exactly, <laughs> but he a saw failure. People really do want something that'll hold on just enough, but easy yeah. to peel off and not leave residue behind, and all that. Exactly. I mean that that's a, a brilliant mind that can take that situation and say, well, what could this be good for? Right. I I have to you know I'm I'm still in the market. I still am loving having my uh, uh, investments going on. One of my bright stars, um, I have done a little bit of rearranging lately where I think I've mentioned before, part of what I'm trying to do with my investing is not just make money. It's, it's to make the world a better place. I want to vote with my dollars to say this med tech, this communications tech, this more efficient way of doing things that disrupts an entrenched and kind of evil market 
I want all those things to come to be. So I vote with my dollars. One of the companies that I have uh, some money in is called NovoCure. And what it is, is it um, applies electrical fields to cure cancer. And so first of all, oh boy, a field filled with charlatans. You know, people have been for a long time saying, well, you know, if you're worried about seasickness, wear a magnet. You know, uh, that this, there's, there's all kinds of things where it, it might have a tiny anecdotal bit of evidence behind it, but there's been no science. And because magnetic fields, electric fields, various different things that are invisible, you know, to people's eyesight, they can believe or not believe without having to like go through the rigor of proving it scientifically. (laughs) Well, what these guys noticed was as cancer cells, as any cell, but in particular cancer cells, you know, what, what is a cancer? It's something that didn't get the apoptosis command to say, when you've grown to a certain point, stop, you know, there it's out of control growth. And so they discovered that when in the, in the act, like this is at the cellular level, when you go through mitosis, the cell splits and creates two copies of itself and shares its little cell DNA and that kind of stuff, that there's an electrical um, part of that, that is a very specific signature of when the exact cell split occurs. And these guys have figured out if we can interfere electrically with exactly that thing, we can stop cells from splitting as they should. And if we can make it that it's not put the whole guy in an electric field and then, yeah, all of his cells will stop splitting and that's terrible. If we can make it that it particularly focuses on, and one of the first things they did was glioblastoma. You know, when you've got brain cancer, there's no easy way to get to it. There's no good outcomes. There's no chemical treatment. It's really been a death sentence pretty much. They found out that that's almost like a perfect environment for, we can get in there with an electric field, not at all intrusive. You might look a little funny wearing your, mind reading ish looking device but it was able to make the tumors retreat to make them stop to make them go away enough that amazing cures are happening and now they're finding out that you can do that with like pancreatic cancer that if you can make it so that you can't obviously wrap your pancreas in this thing but they're finding out that you can tune the fields like they've been able to do for a long time with you know um you can have power coming from here and from here, and neither of them is enough to hurt your flesh, but where they intersect, the combined power is enough. So that's how you can get either by vibration or by heat, infrared, that kind of stuff, to be able to do kind of internal surgery, internal changes. Nice. So they're figuring it out similar ways. And like the, um, com- we have any number of friends, including me, who have been through cancer, and it's terrifying, and there's only so many ways now to pursue it, whether it's chemotherapy, radiation therapy, immunotherapy. And this is a new fourth therapy that's seemingly working. It's passing all of its tests. The FDA is, they actually had a thing where um, the number of patients that they had to do it on is usually this many, and then they do all the various different, um, there's rigor in the testing. And the FDA actually said, these results are proving so promising that you don't need to only do testing for this small sample um, you need less people to prove it. And you actually need to like, if this can cure things, then proceed. So I, I, I just was at Mountain Fool last Friday, had a good, a backstage all day thing. And it was um, interviews with various different smarties that are running the various different companies, the various different analysts that are knowing a lot about various different fields, about cryptocurrency, about, you know, a bio. Anyway, all of that was, it's so cool to hear this guy talking about, it really isn't about money to him either. You know what I mean? It's like, we, we, we're figuring this out and we're really having success and I'm going to be able to save my mother. 
do you know what I mean? What what could be more wonderful? You know, that Sergey and Bryn from Google, the reason that they got out of the running of the business of Google in a lot of ways was because they wanted to be able to cure family Alzheimer's, to be able to cure cancer, to be able to, you know, and, and there's obviously other things of, hey, let's go to the moon, let's, let's do space travel and go to Mars and stuff like that. And there's a lot of mockery being done with that. But the benefits of doing those kinds of things to figure out how you would do that, there's spin-off benefits of Mundo for the, the substance knowledge that you have to have for nose cone material, for things that can survive the rigors of airless you know, near absolute, absolute right, zero right. space, but still be able to return to the planet and get through atmospheric reentry. And the telecommunications that has to be able to occur with that pinpointed ability. I, I, you know what I mean? I'm a long time ago, I was, I've been a believer for a long time in space travel, not only because, yeah, we should go to the moon because it's cool, <laughs> but that it really has the solving of this problem has solved so many other problems and the rigor of being able to do it. And so right, right, I, right. I trust that, I guess, you know what I mean? And I don't know, the space program isn't, hey, we got Tang and space food sticks. It's that we got like GPSs. It's that we got, you know, the perfect molybdenum type steel. That, that, <laughs> right. and it's but, just the but coolest don't, stuff. You but know? don't discount Tang. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, <laughs> I, am not, exactly, I don't mean to diss Tang. I, uh... <laughs> but, you know, that's people's kind of idea is, well, sure, they made a nice spacesuit, but where are you going to be able to use that? Well, then you find out that the materials for like um, temperature control, fire reflectivity, that a lot of that applies to firefighters. Now, right. it, it, it's just amazing. How, and, how do we know about human beings that say, what would you do to survive the rigors of space? You have to be able to survive zero gravity. What will that do to like where your organs are? What does it do to your own, your blood flow, your blood flow going to your brain? If you get up in the spacecraft and you turn into a, a, a non-thinking being, you know what I mean? And of course they didn't test that on human beings. Let's send a dog up, let's send a monkey up. And it didn't seem to drive them mad. You know what I mean? So right. we got an idea of how we could do this. So much science fiction speculation was well, we're going to have to have artificial gravity because we're going to need to be able to have load bearing to maintain our muscle mass. And so probably now you've seen when they do the International Space Station or any kind of space flight, they have people that they get on the treadmill and they've been able to rig it so that that's enough impact and simulated um, weight on your muscles that they don't turn into jellyfish. Right. <laughs> but they had the two brothers, remember, that went up and they, they were able to study exactly. These are twins, so it's close as you can get to same sample and this guy's muscle mass went down by 20 percent in comparison and his heart expanded and in ways you know some of these things are not good they're they're damaging effects to human beings for extended space travel so even if you want to go to mars but it's going to take a year and a half and in a year and a half they might not be able to get out of the capsule and stand on their own because their body has been transformed by being in a different environment and how do you compensate for that so anyway i I know i'm I'm sorry i'm doing so much talking but you know these things are all so cool together and like when you see novo cure it's just so it's like amazing and real intuitive surgical you know the guys that do the da vinci surgical robots that a guy remotely can do surgery with the level of precision of a surgeon with all of his training and all of his hand motor skills and so forth that you can simulate that so that you can have this in i don't know smaller towns that don't have a crack surgeon to be able to handle a difficult heart operation that has to be done right. it's just amazing to be able to have that robotized to that level of it's not just picking up a box in a warehouse 
it's operating at that amazing skilled level and that's really cool you know <laughs> that's, that, that's why when, when i hear people say oh i hate computers i wish we didn't have computers well you know what there's you, you don't even understand what you're saying exactly is there anything that doesn't have that nowadays you know how does your your fridge maintain temperature yeah it, it has not the, only a thermometer it has a little chip that's measuring your temperature 10,000 times a minute and immediately letting you know something's funny you know what i mean it's yeah. like <laughs> it, it, it's always i get i get cynical about it and i always think okay well you know when you or your husband or your kids get rushed to the emergency room and they say oh you don't believe in computers well they're going to die there's nothing we can do You're, you'd be like hey no do what you can get you know you want all that computer equipment you right, want exactly. those 50 60 years magic, of knowledge use the magic yeah yeah well we got a witch doctor over there you know yeah. So, all right. Well, hey, let, let's uh, jump on our other topic. Uh, we which, have a long list. <laughs> yes. And I hadn't even heard this one. You mentioned to me, uh, Jim Carrey has been uh, pegged as MODOK. So I, I, at first it was only a rumor, but then it sure looks to be being confirmed maybe by Marvel itself. So, you know, MODOK is a huge head that was grown by aim to be a smart being that then overcomes his masters and actually becomes a, right. a threat. I think it's... Um, um let's see mental organism designed only for killing or something uh, like yeah, yeah, yeah. That. That's something <laughs> stands for it's important to know these things kind of yeah. <laughs> but the fact that like from what i understand Patton oswald currently voices him in animation okay and so i was like well they could he would have made a good modok as well but he was an agent of shield exactly and and so it Maybe the fact that we don't want only certain actors to get all the roles, maybe the fact that Jim Carrey really, he's got what I, and I'll, um, he's got an intensity to him that you don't know whether he's crazy or not sometimes. And that's kind of what you need if you're going to have a, a brain that's grown so where it might be beyond humanity, kind of Ozymandias and the Watchmen. Right. Once you get smart enough, you're not really human. And you, what we worry about artificial intelligence, maybe deciding that us carbon-based life forms are not the most efficient way to do let, things. Let me and fix so you. Let's get rid of them. <laughs> exactly. Oh, no, they'll fix us. They'll make us better. <laughs> exactly. So I just, I'm looking forward because he's been a great scenery chewer for a long time. And as he's moved away from comedy and gone into various different things, I'm not sure if you've ever seen like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless yeah. Mind or something like that. He's really, I like him. I like the fact that he has taken risks and had them pay off. Um, even I saw Man in the Moon, and I'll tell you what, I really hate Andy Kaufman, but his ability to inhabit that it was character, that was an amazing yeah, really, transformation. Really yeah. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what he did when he was the Joker in one of the Batman movies. He was just over the top enough, especially compared to. Tommy Lee Jones, who played Two Face and was a Two, little yeah. bit crazy but stiff. You know what I mean? It was there. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do there. And having said that, I just uh, bear with me. I just saw another rumor. What, who was uh -huh. it? Somebody that I really thought was going to be. Um, <clears throat> ah, <laughs> as you know, the Batman movies have been good and bad, right and wrong, depending on who has been Batman and who has been the directors and, and so who you talk to. And who you talk to, absolutely. It's been there's been enough experimentation. Some part of what has always informed the current Batman movies is the Dark Knight Returns. It was a series by Frank Miller that really looked at Batman had been retired for 10 years and he has to come back because the world has really worsened. And but now he's kind of like a grumpy old man, but he's still Batman, so he still has his many of his capabilities. But once in a while, Batman has to take a pill because he's in so much pain that in order to keep going, and, and so 
that that's um, I, uh, uh, that portrayal of Batman being a little bit mad, a little bit um, merciless, like he is in The Dark Knight Returns. That's a big thing compared to a lot of the other code against killing Batman, more current Batman, if you will. But what I read was, if they're going to make The Dark Knight Returns, what they should do is have Michael Keaton play Batman. He played him once. He has now so well, also similar to Jim Carrey, he's got that crazy in the eyes and you don't know what he's going to do. <laughs> he's got such acting chops that he's been in all kinds of different roles. He played in a movie called Birdman, I hope you yeah, saw it, yeah. where it's actually, you're not sure that he's a hero or a nut, right, but right, he had right. that the right level of intensity and, you know what I mean, of heroism, if you will. And so him coming back as the grizzled, grumpy, that would be cool. still very capable Batman, that would be such a great idea. You know what I mean? Right, Here's yeah. Batman, and then here he is older, and it really is... I just think that'd be a great idea. <laughs> well, well, first a question uh, with Jim Carrey and Modoc. Uh, do you think they're going to do practical uh, costume? You know, like the big blow-ups we see at Halloween, or are they going to do CGI with that? I, I would think it has to be practical to some degree uh, for him to move right. correctly. That, I see, I think that I know I I'm I guess I'm curious as to how they're going to pull that off. You know, part of what. Kirby often created were like you can't have Artemisola with his face in his stomach without doing that via CGI and right, stuff like right. that. And Modoc, same thing. It's a huge, like, I don't know, 50 times as big a head in a little chair with his limbs kind of dangling, you know what I mean? Kind yeah. of kind of vestigial organ type limbs right. and stuff like that. So how are they gonna do it? And uh, if it, they have big zoom-ins on his face and all of its mobility, he's got a very good rubbery face, and that that's actually big on the screen. It would be very interesting yeah. if it's not prosthetics. I guess it would still have to be in order to get the wedge-shaped head. Some combination of the miracle of CGI and yeah, that's... expressibility. You know, I'm curious. I'm curious as to how they're going to do it. I, I hope they don't go all <laughs> CGI because I think that would look too phony. Uh, you know, they need some practical something. I mean, I, yeah. I, you know, it's fine having a framework shape, but I think Jim Carrey as the actor would need that dimension the weight the the, yeah, the yeah. size of it you know uh, there's some proof like andy circus doing you know golem and doing uh you know king kong and stuff like that that a, a human actor that can mimic those movements a simian movement a creepy movement and they just so it's not cgi right it's that you know where they put um little dots all over right. you and computer track that and then can map that into a different form with all the right different bone structure and stuff right, that you right. can't really do. Hey, hey, actor, come over here. We're going to chip away at you to make you more believable in this role. Right, right. That it's something like that, that they computer map him and have it be that it's still very believable. The uncanny valley kicks in. Like if you're going to have a big old head, but it doesn't look right, people will, oh, that's fake. And so you right, have to right. overcome the uncanny valley to make it that it really looks right. real. You know, yeah. it's, it's well, it'll be interesting. <laughs> and then, so the next thing is talking about Batman, the new Pattinson trailer. Um, and Colin yes. and I had a long discussion on this guy said, okay, this looks like a seriously psycho Batman. And he said, Oh, I'm tired of the psycho Batman. I'm like, uh, I, I don't think the, the Christian Bale or the Michael Keaton and all the other guys, they weren't real no, psycho. This yeah. one looks psycho. He looks as psycho as Joker. <laughs> Honestly, I think I agree. And I, I, I haven't always enjoyed 
seeing the hardening of characters like that you know what i mean wolverine has gone through various yeah. different phases of really being a killing machine or really having a heart and so has batman and so we can start naming the characters that have kind of the punisher was created to be very much an anti-hero mass murderer but then if you direct him at the um human trafficker people yeah go kill them all go get them so do you know what i'm trying to say it's yeah I'm, i i i in the same way that i thought nobody could out joker um jack nicholson and then heath ledger kind of did it i'm always looking forward to see what they do i don't right. usually go in with oh he can't do it that's not good i was very curious even from that very first michael keaton announcement of just because i really had that you know the batman is not a well man you know he's learned to play bruce wayne he's really batman if you will and bruce wayne is right. the genteel is, is, persona is the mask yeah that's the mask so i'm curious I don't I don't know that I know Pattinson enough from other work to say I know that he was like teen idol vampire type stuff. Yeah, he was I didn't a sparkly think it was vampire. embarrassing. You know what I mean? I didn't think that he was embarrassing in that. I thought that it was still okay, I could buy that. You know what I mean? It it, it I there are some actors that I think are so light that it would really be hard for me to put right. them into that role. Tom they, Holland would not make a good Batman. Maybe that's it. I mean, he's, he's, too, he's too boyish, if you yeah. will. He's too like, innocent and cheerful, and you need to have a certain grit and right. tragedy in the guy. And it's not like Spider-Man hasn't been through tragedy, and yet his way of coping was, was the wisecracking angle, right. not the, uh, the, the brutalist angle. You know right. what I mean? Right. So, right. It's, uh... so, so speaking <laughs> of Spider-Man, too, uh, we know the movie's coming out in a little over a month for my birthday. That's what we're doing. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. And we know it has to do with multiple universe the quantum universe dr strange and thing and they're bringing right. in some of the older uh villains and actors so here's my thing here's what they need to do and i i would i would buy the 4k version of this movie if they did this <laughs> and i don't even have a 4k tv mm -hmm. so we know we're pretty sure michael keaton's gonna be in that as the vulture the vulture right? so we're going through all these universes wouldn't it be sweet if he transformed into batman even just for a moment on screen in a <laughs> spider-man movie wouldn't that be cool i hope that the studios and especially the people that are running them now there's a there's a possibility that it's not only about money and protecting the character that they're such fans that they want to see that ready player one moment where every single video game character ever is on the screen right, that would same be as sweet. who framed roger rabbit same as cabin in the woods there's just that wonderful little they know how much people would love it and they're going right. to put that little easter egg but i think their egos and their greed for money and their everything else gets in the way because seriously you know there was so much problems with spider-man and venom and all the stuff they went back right. and forth and sony wanting to control it and that's right like, oh, sony versus marvel instead of but i don't know if kevin feige is uh has any he has lots of pull in the industry now because he's got like eight of the top 10 right. movies of all time money-wise. Maybe he's the one like Steven Spielberg has that ability to go and say, I really need to borrow both Bugs and Daffy and you know what I mean? I need right. all the rabbits, I need all the ducks. And I think that he might be able to pull it off as he's kind I of proven. I will take good care of your character. I'm not going to do this so I can sucker punch him. I'm doing right. it so that everybody can get... I always thought, you know... They, Whenever they have, how many movies have had this big scene? Let's go into the Justice League trophy room. And there's all the weapons and all the costumes and all the heads of villains and whatever else it might be. But they really should 
Easter egg wise, put something that isn't from the Marvel, even from the DC universe in there. So someone go, well, wait a minute, that's not Aquaman's foe, that's Submariner's foe, right. that's Akuma's helmet, or whatever else it might be. And I, I have never been the guy that like grabs that, stop motions my way through it to identify every single thing. <laughs> and I've not read this, but I would hope that someone would one day reveal, wait a minute, that's from Doctor Who. It's not it's even all, right. from comic books. I love those you know what I mean? I, Yeah, <laughs> I you, hope that they've been sneaky enough to do that. <laughs> right. And I know Lucas gets dissed a lot for his retconning and changing things in the movies. And uh, okay. I go back and forth. There's a few things I like and some things I'm like, why did you change that? You know, but <laughs> I think because we know we're pretty sure that there's a fantastic move for movie coming out in the next couple of years. I just read a little bit about that. Yeah. Exactly. So you know what I would love that i don't think would destroy anything go back to the original avengers movie when they're in new york and just when they're flying by you see the fantastic four on a building fighting some scrolls that's right, it that just they also were in on the back yeah exactly. just that the little bit would have been targeted exactly right you know i'd be all for that <laughs> because it doesn't change the movie at all but it enhances the fantastic four in the universe that's yeah. a change i could get behind but some of the ones lucas did that's a whole nother topic so did you see oh sorry what no i just honestly one of the things that you've said that i've seen a lot of fanboy anger about is that it's kind of like the curious case of the dog in the nighttime. Sometimes what is there isn't as also important as what's not there. And if you're going to have attack on the earth and every single hero on earth didn't defend the planet, well, where were they? Right. Were they just, just sitting out, you know, having tea? Uh, no, they must have been lured into a different cat crisis that they couldn't be there. Or at least that's always what I kind of think as people talk about. So while they're all fighting Thanos, you know, wouldn't other villains have said, well, I don't want him to own the universe. That's so now they're bringing Kang as the next big bad, yeah. from what I understand. But there's all kinds of other cosmic beings, very evil, et cetera, et cetera. Like, there's no way that Dracula would sit back while another I, vampire took over the planet. You can't have that without, if you will, real comic book continuity, if not having the people that would appear in that situation, where were they? <laughs> they yeah, they should have, you know, Endgame, you know? they should have had uh, an outline of the watcher just briefly in the background somewhere watching all yeah. that and saying okay i guess i didn't have to step in you know right, what i mean right. <laughs> so i heard that the eternals is the lowest rated marvel movie yet i'm i'm still gonna go see it because yeah. i just i love comic book movies and i think uh, there's some part of it's so funny that very much dovetails from what we've been talking about from what i understand like the way they present the Eternals, that they've been this in the background force on, of, the, of the world for a long time. Where were they? Where right. are they not fighting? That's the problem. Channel? Exactly. You and, know? So, and like Colin said, he's like, come on, you can't bring these all important big big guys out that can do anything right. and, and, and then say, hey, come and watch Shang-Chi because he's interesting. Well, you know, yes. I, I, I've said this for a while. I think the Eternals is a mistake for Marvel. But at least if they were going to do it, they really should have ramped it up better because they're dropping this whole new team that nobody knows. So, of course, nobody cares. We saw that with every DC movie. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping what they'll do is it really is possible that what the part of the mythos of the Eternals is that they operated in secret. They didn't want yeah. their battle against the deviants to be um, apparent to the, if you will, the regular Earth people. They really felt obligated to let Earth development continue on its own pace and not have it be that they were worshipped as gods or et cetera, et cetera. So 
that the fact that there's there they maintained their stealth is going to be a big part of that movie and then maybe you know part of the unfortunate thing that happens there is if the eternals were because of the celestials that came to the planet to create them another one of those things like really the celestials wouldn't have interceded when galactus came around when thanos came around when the molecule man first appeared that controls matter you would think that like i don't know there's a certain amount of well, were they not watching? Are they handling so many different things that we are the smallest little pinky finger of the universe and they wouldn't care? You know, right. and I, it, we it, care it, a lot about our planet being destroyed, but they like, don't. <laughs> every Superman comic or whatever, you see him hearing everything, seeing everything, and taking care of everything. But then you always have Batman fighting alone, <laughs> except for finest. You know, right. so right. it's like, well, okay. <laughs> I, I. I'm always curious as to, because even in comic books, not even in the movies, they've had different um, writers have a different take on that. You know what I mean? If you're really trying to monitor the world, but then you get, you, you, for sure it gets, it, it gets proven that you can't handle everything. So then you have to say, well, am I going to save people from this flood or from this tornado or from this virus or whatever? And you have to play God. You have to decide who lives and who dies. And there's any number of people that really couldn't handle that pressure. I just want to beat up bad guys in the streets of Gotham. I I don't I can't take the big view of I monitor everything and I choose that at that on that big of a scale. And so, you know what I mean? I, I that's always been a very interesting existential question. Right. Of, you really you can do anything, but can you do everything? No. Then you well you get the Flash, you get Superman, who really can operate at super speed. And could they just forever be that? interceding force that really could get to everything if they wanted to but they just have to decide i can't rest i have to continually refuel i can have no relationships i really have 24 hours a day and eventually i think if you're a human being you'll go mad from no sleep so then you have to say well i'm going to do everything i can with 16 hours out of the day and for eight hours i'm going to go into my sanctuary and kind of sleep in a coma (laughs) to recharge myself and you know what I mean? There's very practical aspects to being amazing. You would still have to deal with if you're using a human right. as the basis of things. That's probably you know? why I like Spider-Man so much, because <laughs> out of all of them, he seemed to always get his butt kicked, always get damaged and hurt. But sometimes they went overboard. It's like, oh, look, it's the third time this year he revealed himself because he had the flu or, right. you know, yeah. there's a balance. In fact, they did a really, you know, the scale that they've been able to maintain of, he really does have obsessive villains, but they're not like with a, you know, snap of their fingers, they can make him cease to exist, at least his villains, you know what right. I mean? It, um, a lot of what they've done it, well in comic books sometimes is there's a certain, you know, you've seen the power charts as to you can't have the rhino can fight Spider-Man because he really is strong, but kind of clumsy and that kind of stuff. But when you have someone like the juggernaut could could Spider-Man even move him? You know right. what I mean? What, what effect could he have? But having said that, when they had Daredevil fight the Hulk or something like that, and, and that it was, wow, a very agile, fearless, dedicated, kind of crazy man really could put up a pretty good fight against the Hulk until he got his hands on him. Right, you know yeah, yeah. And yet, so the nobility of that was what they were trying to portray. Not that it was a practical battle, if you will. And if I remember right, the Hulk actually has such respect for him that he doesn't just crush him and kill him he's like i, I kind of can't believe you kept coming at me you know what i mean I, you I, you're so much a human flea in comparison to me but you wouldn't give up 
hats off to you. Right. You know what I mean? So, yeah. <laughs> well, I remember, I don't know, I'm sure you have the issues. The, after 9-11, after the towers fell, they came out with a whole bunch of Marvel with the superheroes at the towers. And yeah. Spider-Man was the last one. That's one of the most powerful two panels I remember is the towers are coming down and Spider-Man still zipping in the windows and pulling people out. Trying to save people. Yeah. And he was that. the last yeah. fighter against the Martian invasion in the original Guardians, too. They had that's his right. suit on Mars. So exactly. I, I, that's, you know, that's what I love about Peter. And he, he was a nerd. He, he didn't feel like he was all together. He, he thought all the other superheroes, he looked up to all of them, you know, and, exactly. and yet he never gave up. He always kept going. You know, that's, that's what I love about uh, Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Definitely. I, I totally agree. I, I've, I've spoken a number of times on Kai folks. And one of the things that I often try to get a chance to mention to, to how, moving comic books can be there's a i think it's called the final chapter maybe spider-man number 33 very early in his run yeah. where he's buried under a ton of wreckage and it probably is beyond him yeah yeah <laughs> to get out of this i'm gonna but... tear up now but he, <laughs> he won't give up and he's like i gotta do it for aunt may i gotta right. you know, she's I dying to... yeah it's the first time she's dying <laughs> <laughs> and that's also exactly how many times is this innocent little but old lady? But, but isn't that what what I mean, I know the new movie is semi based on this, but isn't that what gets Spider-Man Peter to uh, try and make the deal with Mephisto to one more day? Because Aunt May gets shot and she really exactly is dead. Right. And yeah, about Mary Jane in order to get her. That's right. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that Spider-Man definitely, uh, I'll give him kudos for all of that. That when he's good, he's really good. Absolutely. And it's kind of funny. Various authors have really captured that. You know, that's yeah. kind of like we talked about James Bond last week, a couple of weeks ago, maybe that the ability to maintain a character and, and what makes him that character over the course of time, it's not easy. You know what I mean? They've let Doctor Who be quite different over the course of time, in my opinion. You know, there's a core of him, but um, what makes Spider-Man heroic, what makes um, Superman heroic, it's not easy. Oh. Sorry about this. <laughs> That's fine, man. These are the this stuff has been part of both of our lives literally forever, you know. Exactly. And and when there's that that's what people don't get is how good some of the comics are. Yeah, there's some crap, and you go through stages for any of the heroes, any of the books. Yeah. But when they are good, I mean I told you about uh the uh uh, battle worlds whatever uh, with spider-man and he was fighting the venom to save his wife and daughter on exactly. that timeline <laughs> and and it was just when he was holding back and then when mary jane showed up and told him the, the building was empty and the way they drew his look and spider-man has a mask on but he conveys <laughs> such emotion <laughs> even Absolutely. with the mask and it yeah. was it's just one of my favorite spider-man stories ever i've read it dozens of times just that one you know exactly so. boy this just comes to mind and I, it it's a variation on that that i'm not sure so dr doom a big villain in the fantastic four and for a long time all through the marvel universe and he really is a megalomaniac and, and you know what i mean but he's got that interesting core of well the reason that he stopped doing only science but started to dabble in the the um arcane things is because his mom got taken to hell, if I remember correctly, right, something by like a that, demon yeah. and so forth. So every year he fights to try to win her back and and doesn't do it, but he won't give up. 
there's a series where the overmind comes to earth and um, Reed Richards gets incapacitated, I think even taken over by the overmind and Dr. Doom steps in to lead the Fantastic Four because he's like the world's last best hope. Um, the overmind, if I remember, so real quick, the stranger came and I think I ought to say this, the overmind is the sum total of a world that's everyone's minds melded together and that's why he's so powerful. Um, leave the stranger out of this for a moment because it's worth reading. There's a scene where the Fantastic Four is getting their, their asses kicked. You know what I mean? They're only so powerful, but Dr. Doom won't go down. He's getting his armor beat off of him. He's getting his cape torn. He, and you know, <laughs> I don't know why I'm so emotional this morning, but he goes down, you know, as long as I can, I fight, I fight, I fight. And that's even in a crazy, a villain that I'm not going down anymore, right. Rocky, that whatever it is, you know, that is Rocky. Will Perfect. Is yeah. really important. You know what I mean? So, and, and that's the thing with Dr. Doom. Wow. He's been up and down so often sometimes he's the biggest bad guy that causes the worst problems and they got to get rid of him and other times he really is almost that anti-hero and you know almost respectable at the, you know it depends on the era it depends on the story but he really is up and down quite this, often it's kind of interesting this ties together a little bit what we were talking about so much a lot of what they do with dr doom is when he goes away for a while you're like, well, wouldn't he just be out of his megalomania, always trying to take over the world? No, they've actually shown where he's had a plan that he's been working on for two, three, five years. He had to manipulate all these events, make these scientific breakthroughs, like, inveigle his way into various different things, kind of like field or whatever. And, and so to show that as much as he's obsessed, he's also got discipline. He's got like his obsession leads him to, I really will, like, step out of the world for a couple of years in order to improve my armor, my science enough that now I could take on Iron Man or whatever else. It might, you know what I mean? It's like some, it's cool that they've been able to show that there are some villains that are nothing, but they come at you again and again and again, because they can't help themselves that Dr. Doom actually has that kind of dispassionate, really evil clinical approach of what matters is the end will justify all these means. I will do whatever's necessary, even great sacrifice in order to get the goal, which is I want to run the world. I want to run battle world. You know what I mean? When they Because so, I am so good, I can else. do it better than anyone else. Right. That. This will be the proof. And, and it's kind of funny, you know, there's the shadow side, if you will, of Dr. Doom, Hank Pym as yellow jacket and various different personalities and costumes that he's taken on. He's always had that inferiority complex of, you know, I'm really brilliant, but it sucks to be in the world the same time as Tony Stark. You know what I mean? I invented pimp particles. I invented, you know, but but he's the one that gets all the the tech um, accolades, if you will. And what's really funny is they really did that in the Marvel movies. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Now that who invented Ultron? Not Hank Pym. It's Tony Stark and and uh, Bruce Banner. Right. And so like they even like. <laughs> made him feel even more inferior in the real movie world if you will right. by not giving him a big bad one of the worst villains the avengers have ever had to contend with this artificial intelligence ultron they took it away from him so oh well i just they had some really good stories about seeing his his personality kind of get it couldn't take the battering of right. the pressure and the competition and the inferiority and which wow. they kept in the uh, what if where the original ant-man is you know taking out all the avengers so exactly that was that, a pretty good one 
Yeah. Spoiler had, alert, belated. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, the Ultimates came out, you know, probably also 25 years ago, and they started to do all the retellings of the various different Marvels uh, with slight variations because it was a different universe. There was a different Ultimates universe, if you will. And one of the things that Spider-Man in, in the Ultimates universe written by Brian Michael Bendis for a, like, I don't know, 100 and oh, yeah. 30 issues, right? A whole long time. Also, in the Avengers, um, Hank Pym becomes so... Uh, if I'm going to not have a good time at work, I'm going to go home and kick the dog kind of a thing. And in fact, he kicks the dog being his wife. Terrible, but it led to the Avengers saying, you know, you can't be a good enough hero to make up for the fact that you're being this kind of a piece of shit. And Captain right. America beats him within an inch of his life. You know, pretty much you, you can't have enough science, costumes, weapons that I'm not going to keep coming at you because... I'm not going to have a wife beater right. as, as in my, in my sight, you know what I mean? It, it's in my, oh, anyway, very, I love the ultimate. what makes those real world. You know what I mean? That yeah. it's not only happy and uh, Hey, we're kids in a club that there really was internal dissension as well as fighting against the villains and stuff. And a lot of that was captured very, very well. So, ultimate Spider-Man. Uh, I loved that has some really good art, especially the early issues. And exactly. that led that there's another example. You had that mega ultra goblin that was about to destroy um, <clears throat> um, Gwen in the ultimate world and um, Aunt May and the whole house that all the kids were in and little old Peter 16. They really made him look like a puny little thing. He like kept a, going and it killed him. Right. And that one, he died, but that's what inspired miles when he got bit. So exactly. we got miles out of that. Yeah. So it, bear with me, because Bendis, wasn't it like Mark Bagley? I think is the name of the artist. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think Because I shouldn't have only mentioned Benson, Bendis. I think that they were the, the same team for a long, long, yeah. good run. And that Bagley really had that. There's a little bit of a disc, Ditko-esque. He's very slight. He's kind of distorted. His body takes on, yeah, you yeah. know, body doesn't bend that way type things, but for dramatic effect. And, and so you're exactly right. It isn't just Bendis's writing. Bagley's artwork was fantastic. fantastic. Such an extended run. You know what I mean? Yeah, that he really yeah. did great work. And the fact they didn't let themselves get distracted by, well, you could go make more money over here. Or you could, no, we're going to make this magnum opus out of Ultimate Spider-Man that it will stand forever. It, 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 it as has. much as I like reading the old Spider-Man and, and those Marvel Masterworks editions, those Ultimate editions really read well in our yes, great they do. comics. Yeah, I love those. And and Bendis yeah. was from Cleveland, right? Yes. Originally. So yeah, we exactly a whole bunch of them were here and then they made a mass exodus to Portland, if I remember. <laughs> and it was like, oh, come back. We right. were good. <laughs> right. It was, I think they left before I got to town. And and it but it really was like in the same way that I had a chance to get to know some Chicago comic book creators, I was kind of looking forward to, oh, I'm sure we'll, we'll run across. And as long as I don't like totally over fanboy it, maybe they'll let me be amongst them. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Maybe Offer to be... buy the beer. Exactly. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I, I, I'll be able to um, appreciate without fawning, hopefully enough that they don't like get oh, this guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> we, we're done with work. We want to forget about it. Leave us exactly. alone. You 60 year old kid. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, we, we miss, you know we got a couple things but what's this about the uh comedy festival what what's going on with that i uh, hadn't heard about it yeah. and i got so, something coming up to tell you about 
exactly. Well, this is kind of interesting. Cleveland Comedy Festival has been running. I think this is its fifteenth year. It's oh. it's never been you know like a big one like Toronto or Montreal, New York, Miami. But it has it, they. Um, I actually, it's kind of funny. I did get to know the people that are behind it um, and, and have become friends with them. And so it's been really cool. Like the way I, when they first announced it, we, uh, Colleen and I love going to comedy. It's our favorite night out. They announced it and they had like six shows, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and we bought tickets for every single one of them. <laughs> and the first time that we showed up on that Thursday night, they said, we were looking forward to meeting the guy that bought every ticket. <laughs> and so it, we, they've had, they've been in multiple venues um, at Playhouse Square, at Hilarity's Comic Club. This year they're doing at the Odeon, which is a big rock club that yeah. had a lot of acts in it, but apparently it's, it's a good space for yeah, stand-up comedy. And, um, and so not uh, in the past, they've had some big names come in, like Todd Berry, various different headliners. This year, it seems to be, We've got enough good local Cleveland town that they're doing that. They've got a couple people um, coming in from like maybe New York or New Jersey. They've got, they've always had a talent showcase where they, you know, hey, we're going to have uh, 10 young unheralded comedians on and then the audience will vote and they'll get a prize of some kind. Nice. Um, they have, it, it'll be nice running. And if I remember right, it's from Wednesday to Saturday night, no Sunday, but Wednesday to Saturday. And we just got tickets for like the Cleveland showcase for Wednesday and for Friday night's headliner and very reasonable prices, like 15 or 25, if I remember wow. right, it's you know, compared to other festival prices, right, which right. are usually much higher. So um, I don't know, we've been, we've seen them for 15 years. And when they come to town, it's usually like now early in November ish. And we just, uh, there's no better night out than live comedy. You know yeah, what I mean? We, comedy, we really yeah. love it. Um, so hats off to, uh, so that's a, uh, I'm trying to think of, that's enough. If, if you're interested in good live Cleveland comedy, especially the Wednesday comedy showcase, which will have Bill Squires, Mary Santora, John Wellington, not Wellington, John, um, um, ah, I'm an idiot. I really like and respect these guys, but there's like six people on the bill and all the names are not coming to mind. I should be able to bring I'll, it up. I'll look it up. But, I'll put it in the show notes. Exactly. It'll, it'll be really good. Um, and then I, I think that maybe I didn't mention this when we were talking about what to talk about. So what's yours, please? And I'll, oh. I might have to respond to. So uh, we went two years ago, and they didn't do it last year, to this group called First Snow up at the uh, Lorraine Palace Theater. Uh, what they are is um, a Trans-Siberian Orchestra cover band is what they are. So <laughs> it's like seeing a Trans-Siberian Orchestra show, but that you can actually get tickets to. <laughs> Right. And not for $78. Exactly. Less flash pots, but yeah, okay. 20, 30 and $40 tickets. I think we went two years ago and the Lorraine palace theater is a great place to yes. see a show too. We've seen our world. Guthrie, we've seen a whole bunch of stuff there. Anyway, nice and okay. classic. It's got, yeah. you know, that old feel the to old, it and stuff. Exactly. The Baroque style guilt on all yeah. the walls and stuff yeah, it's like beautiful. that. Beautiful. Yeah. And so we couldn't go last year and we were disappointed and Gina sent me a message and I had just been thinking, huh. And I went to look it up. So we like, we we're both on the same wavelength and we're gonna go this year again because the date is it like first of december november 27th this year i believe so the is, weekend of thanksgiving yes I guess, right yeah and I, I think that's when it was last time all right honestly can't thank you enough we've seen a couple christmas shows we sealed neil zaza's you know one silent night we've seen trans-siberian orchestra we've seen Mannheim steamroller we really love 
those kinds of shows yeah. and i had not heard of first snow so yeah. very cool okay. so yeah i'll put it in the show notes link to that because we're gonna go yeah. and uh yeah they're fun and like i said they play trans-siberian orchestra music except they're not actually trans right, the full band exactly. yeah, it was a, it was they, a good time rights to uh, o'toole and everybody else but yeah okay. it was a good so, time we're gonna we have as long as i'm pretty sure it's not that same weekend we're gonna go see kansas right we're gonna be at the uh the people's bank theater in marietta so it's a bit of a drive like two three hours but we we this is a great theater we've seen a couple things there it's um we're looking forward to it being like well while we're down there let's go christmas shopping down at tamarack let's go to the uh, uh stained glass museum or whatever else they have cool things down there you know yeah. it's right at the confluence of um, the rivers ohio uh, um Kentucky and Pennsylvania, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then we also just found out about this. Neil Stevenson is going to be doing a reading at the Cuyahoga Public Library branch down in Parma. And Neil Stevenson is like another great cyberpunk author. He's done Snow Crash. He's yeah. done Nomicon. He's on the Diamond Age. He's done, um, let's see, uh, Reem D, you know, read me with the letters wrong. Um, he's just really high quality stuff. The, the Baroque cycle is like three 900 page books if i remember right you know what wow. i mean there's all kinds of good stuff and i think he'll be doing like question and answer reading a little bit about you know what is how does he do what does he do and i'm still very much i only want to go to places where i'm not going to be eating there so i can keep my mask on but hopefully people that would know about neil stevenson would mostly be science people so and they would really have a mask on and so you know what i mean uh, a little bit of my worry about some shows is that I even even if we're all masked and stuff like that we just have to be careful about what we're going to go do absolutely I, I, we just you know we just missed halloween for the first time in 30 years in chicago because i yeah. just was a little bit still not sure that people are going to be rigorous enough and there was no vaccine mandate and i just i just didn't what what do i do i play games and i chat at tables right games friends, that's, i go to pretentious drinking every one of those would have been aced by how, how do you have you know no transfer of germs if everybody's touching the same meeples you know what i mean yeah so i was a little bit spooked by that absolutely agree but next year next but year I, plague years are over we'll be I, back i didn't so. hear about neil stevenson i'm gonna have to look that up because you know yeah. obviously you can say i met that author too <laughs> exactly honestly and i i've really discovered him early and then each book he's written has been like a monument you know what i mean it's yeah. not just he keeps turning out little things there have been fantastic ideas about um like stateless uh uh you know nation states floating in the ocean as an information repository it's been about what if uh, uh computer power had been originated back in the steam era and what how things would have changed in the world he's had big ideas and they and it, he plays them out very well yeah. you know what i mean yeah and, so, and you got to be ready to read <laughs> yeah exactly that he, he he's not an easy read but he's absolutely a worthwhile read <laughs> yeah and that's one of those weird things uh, when you read an ebook you can look and see you're at location blah of so many but that just seeing numbers doesn't mean anything and i've read a couple books where i'm like dear god when does this book end i've been reading it forever but you don't have a clue really you can't you look at hold the book up right. where's my bookmark about two-thirds okay but the thing is you know like if i'm reading with the ipad and the, the case on it it's heavy enough it's like those big books so you know reading at night thump, oh <laughs> yeah i guess it's time for me to check out for yeah, time to exactly. to bed. i will i will mention this i i'm reading uh the casual vacancy by jk rowling who everybody has heard of because of the Harry uh, Potter books. Well, she's done some stuff besides the Potterverse. And I got to say, I 
I admire the craft of it. She really spins a good story, but the story itself is terrible. The reason yeah. that I don't read um, dramatic soap opera books is because there's no likable characters. Everybody has twitches and quirks and failures. Everybody is like, they're all struggling to get by. I, I prefer heroic fiction where you're doing things for a reasonable cause other than I want a seat on this city council in a tiny <laughs> town, but nothing matters more. And all the villainy that I'm willing to commit, shafting friends and lying and hiding things. I just, it's really weird to read a book filled with dysfunctional characters and say, I, I wouldn't talk to a single one of these. <laughs> I, they, they, I would be like, wow, you're, you know, and it's not because they're odd. I love odd and quirky. It's because they're nasty. It's because yeah. they're like, Ugh, you know what I mean? Like, and, and even, oh, oh, well. So that's my review of casual vacancy is there you go. not my kind of book. You right. know what I mean? As I get into it, it's like, I kind of want to find out what happens to various different characters, but I just feel oilier and yeah. oilier as I read this of like, yeah. is there anybody in here that's not damaged? Well, God damn it. If, 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 <laughs> if you don't like it, put it down. There's plenty of books, you know, and you know. she just came out with a new book, uh, The Christmas Pig, uh, some Christmas okay. story. So we might pick that up and give it a try. Right. I, you know, I like quirky little Christmas stories. I really did get this out of loyalty to her. You know what I mean? Yeah. The Harry Potter books are really good and, and et cetera, et cetera. Just, and it is, it's kind of funny, you know, she's more adult in this book. And right. so whatever she, they got a little more adult as the kids got older and there was like, you know, not just, you know, kissy, kissy, but maybe real love and maybe real villainy. But this book is just loaded with um, adult themes. And so it's kind of like, okay, I'm okay with it. I've read many books with adult themes, but I just was, okay, I, I didn't mind you doing the Harry Potter book. Someone's got to do that and do it well. Right, right. <laughs> oh, well. And, you know, like, she doesn't have to worry about really it. awful on my part. No, go do the one thing I like you doing. Don't, don't, you don't get to stray. That's, I'm not like that at all, usually. You know, right. I, mean, I, really don't, I really don't think But that's, that's the book. general consensus, just... though. I mean, they, that's what, it, I, I fight against this. But like every time I'm with a group of authors or there's someone on stage talking, it's always, you know, if you write fantasy keep writing fantasy because people want to keep reading the same thing and i'm like man i have a problem with that myself yeah don't but, put jacket on me so readily yeah, you know what i mean that's it's not enough. always true anymore people are are because of digital it's easier to get various and people are reading wider it seems and it's okay. not as much of a detriment uh plus they say if you start right off with maybe a sci-fi short story and a fantasy short story and then a middle grade kids horror book and then you know you establish yourself in yes, every one of those which, fields yes yeah. which is what pearl jam did on that first album they had such a variety <laughs> of music they could do anything they wanted after that that's a great way to put it no, exactly so, so all right okay. cool man all right as usual wonderful talking to you and uh uh, let's see we're into november man i gotta start wearing long sleeve shirts and stuff like that darn it <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Our, our heater went out we can't get the repair guy out here until friday so oh boy yeah we've been it's not been horrible yet so okay it is still 50s outside not 30s at night unfortunately right. i think as the week goes by it's supposed to get it has older, been, so you're yeah. really going to appreciate that come friday oh yeah, yeah. but man we we found the best warm comforter at a goodwill or a thrift store and we okay. threw that on the bed last night and I was all cuddled in and found a cat laying next to me. And I'm like, yeah. And <laughs> they I know where the warmth is. <laughs> I put That's my funny. head out and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's cold out there. I feel like I'm camping. <laughs> so <laughs> we really are getting to that, you know, especially this weekend is daylight savings time. Oh, yeah. So we've got the 
latest mornings, if you will, for this last week. And and I'm Colleen and I both we woke up this morning. It was like it's cozy in here. It's still dark outside. I'm I'm just not. I don't care what my alarm just told me. I'm not getting up yet. Right. right. <laughs> I understand. All right. So, all okay. right Ab, Take talk care. To you later. Okay. You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on Geek Topics of the Week.